Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode on the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today I have a huge treat for you all where I am inviting Barbara Fernandez onto the podcast to talk about how we can use symbols to build language. Barbara is a speech pathologist and you may know her from Smarty Symbols and Smarty Years. I am a huge fan of Smarty Symbols and I've been using them in pretty much all of my resources for the last maybe five years and so having Barbara come on today is amazing for me and I can't wait to share all her knowledge with you guys as well. So let's dive straight in and let me introduce you to Barbara. Hi Barbara and welcome to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. I am so excited to have you on here today to talk about how to use symbols to build language. But before we start, could you give us a little introduction of who you are and all the things that you do? Good morning or good afternoon, Nikki, and thank you so much for having me here. I It is very lonely in the office, so I always love chatting with people that are like-minded and trying to just spread out the word about what we do. I am a speech-language pathologist. That's my background. But I, these days, like to think of myself as a translator of research and innovator to try to bring what what some people in academia and research papers put out and try to make it practical for clinicians and professionals and parents to actually um, create something meaningful to use with their with their little ones or even with adults that have speech language and communication disorders. And in order to do that, um, I have a couple endeavors that I kind of take on. I founded a company called Smarty Ears, and it's been a little over 10 years ago. And Smarty Ears has apps for speech language communication and Smarty Symbols, which is a symbol library that can be used for a variety of different, it's a, it's a tool for a variety of different, I don't want to say things, but things is not the correct vocabulary here, but for speech language and communication as well. And I, I, I know what we're going to get to talking more, what symbols are and all of that. So I will stop here. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. I know you pretty much do a little bit of everything, but I've come across you through Smarty Symbols and This was the first symbol program I think that all of my students really connected with in the classroom because the symbols are so simple for them. They're some of the most simple and easy to understand that I've ever come across. They love them. And having you on here is like having my little celeb dream on here because I've always thought of you that way. I love Smarty Symbols, everything you do. So it is an honor to have you here today to talk with you. Well, thank you so much for that. That made my morning. (laughs) I'm so glad because you're making my day being here. But today we are talking about symbols to build language. And I know this is a hugely popular subject in sort of our whole areas of learning. But before we start, for anyone who's listening, what do we mean by symbols? All right. I, I love this question because professionals in general, we tend to use a lot of jargon 
And I had the opportunity six years ago to become the mother of a child with autism. And even though people think that I started my business because of my child, it's the opposite. I feel like my child picked me. But with that, it allowed me to be on the other side of the and going to meetings with, you know, special education teachers and special education meetings and just hearing how much jargon we use as professionals to talk to parents, um, expecting parents to know all of this. And but especially when it comes to symbols, I, I think of symbols and we all use symbols every day. The stop sign is a symbol to represent what we want cars to do. It goes for the red light or the restroom sign. It's much easier for us to receive, to perceive information if we have that immediate visual to help us in moments of different social interactions and interactions in society in general. And when it comes to, and, and that's basically what I think symbols are. It's just a visual representation of a concept that facilitates our interaction with the world. Perfect. And I love what you touched on as well, that we all use them, because I was actually going to ask you who can use symbols, but I think we'll go into it now that you've touched on it, because I know you love to travel and you're sort of all around the world. I love looking at all your photos. And when we travel, we often go to countries where obviously, you know, their language is different to ours. And the first thing I always do is look for symbols, look for like the toilet symbol or the stop symbol, like you said, because Obviously, the language I can't always understand. So who do you think benefits from symbols? Everyone? Absolutely. And what you said is exactly what was on my mind. And, you know, in the, if people have traveled or been to anywhere where they don't speak the language, I'm sure everybody can um, validate the concept that it's much easier to be at an airport and look for, or even if you're driving to an airport, to look for the plane sign on the road that will take it to the airport than to read the whole word airport. And then when we think of the concept of children who either are learning to read or aren't just there yet, and kids that are needing that are needing way a pathway to communicate, symbols just benefits not only the children, because when you end up so focused on our work, we think, okay, so this is something for kids that are learning to communicate. But no, we it's just um We've seen that we all perceive things better and are able to interact better with visuals, which symbols are basically a visual representation of language. And so we all, yeah, everybody benefits from symbol. I benefit from symbol and all of us that are probably listening to this podcast benefits from symbols. Definitely. I know it's the first thing I always look to. And it was only sort of when I started using them in the classroom with the students, I started to look around me and think, actually, I've been using symbols my whole life without realizing it. <laughs> Absolutely. And it goes back to um, sometimes we are using solutions that were designed. Uh, sometimes we use solutions that were designed originally for um, people with disability like captions. Uh, that was, you know, for the heart of hearing. And now I can't watch any movies without captions. And I think our visual support sometimes being the other way around, we everybody benefits from visuals. And we expanded this into utilizing as a resource for visual language. Yes, I love the idea of it. And I, you know, I've never really thought about the caption thing as well. But yes, I do tend to have the captions on for pretty much everything now. I don't even know why I started. It's just something I think I started a few years ago. And now everywhere we go, I'm like, where's the captions button? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I love captions, and and actually they 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 have studies how kids' reading skills are better if they if parents have that captions on as they're watching the videos. Um, so something that was created for a particular population, you see this being really useful for everyone. And I think Definitely. of it the same way. Definitely. And I know we touched on a little bit of those benefits of using symbols where we can benefit from them when we're maybe somewhere in a different language and for helping children learn to read as well. Would you say there's any other benefits of using symbols? Wow. We, do you have three hours here? <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> I always like trying to, to bring two small examples. Um, my son is, even though he's in the spectrum, he's verbal. So he's more on the verbal uh, end of the spectrum. And it, it's people would imagine that the typical way that people think of symbols is picture exchange communication. So you have a representation, they can get a picture and give to the adult or show the adult the representation of, they, of their wants. So in this case, water. And that's the primary way I think people think of uh, visual support and symbol representation is really that visual communication part. And so people aren't, um, you start, when you start seeing all the different ways that you can use symbols, it, it's really amazing how, it brings back to what we talked about, how it's everywhere. But you can use visuals, for example. One, I'm going to actually talk about the ways that I use visuals as a parent in my house. We use symbols. My son struggled a lot with uh, making choices, for example, for eating. And so we made a calendar with the things that he would eat, that he could eat for breakfast, the things he could eat for lunch, and the things he could eat for dinner. It was so much nicer to have a visual representation of his eating options. And yes, this is a visual representation and it allows for, for regulation of him knowing what is allowed, what's not allowed. Another thing that we had is uh, recently he started opening up the front door and going on the streets. And so made a big stop sign and we put, did you ask on, uh, on the door? So just that visual quick red symbol that he sees on the door has helped him as he's about to open the door, look at it and come back and ask us if he can go play in the front yard as opposed to him just going on his own. And so you can regulate behaviors. You can support communication. You can have choices. You can use it for building social stories, which is huge for, for children like my son, being able to um, create uh, stories around some things that are challenging. For example, we created stories for he was struggling using the restroom at school. And we talked about step by step, which is you know, going on into sequencing. And this is me trying to summarize and speak fast. But um, yeah, it's really about the creativity of, of the parent or a clinician and the need of the child. Definitely. I think there's so many ways that they can be used now in so many different places as well. Like you said, you had some wonderful ways that you were using them with your son at home. We use them in the classrooms. I've been to hospitals and they're using them with patients to find out where on their body hurts. I think it's amazing, you know, how many people are using these now to communicate with everyone, not just maybe our individuals on the autism spectrum or in special needs schools. It's literally being used everywhere. 
absolutely several years ago we actually made this um it's, it's like a, a page long for emergency rescue uh professionals in uh you know if you have a lot of the red cross professions that go into these areas where they don't speak the language so you can have this page long sheet you know you can have a body part so that it can show where it hurts and then they can have a lot of little information about what did it happen? Was it a fire, flood? And is there that it would represent some important need for a special for emergency workers? And this is just for even communicating with people who don't have a language disorder, but are just needing a medium, a visual medium for, for exchange of communication in an effective way. Definitely. I love that. And it's so easy as well. Just that one page of communication. It's not as if you're carrying around a folder. It's not as if you're scrambling for to find all the things that one page contains all the important information that's needed at that time. Absolutely. Now, something that's a little controversial is when to introduce symbols. So is there an age that you think is too young or do you think this is something that we can naturally always sort of be introducing to our children? Um, I, I think as long as the child is, is seen, that's as early as you can start introducing visuals. Obviously you, you look at the developmental level of the child. Sometimes they are still looking for a three dimensional objects as a way to communicate. But as soon as they're ready for a two dimensional picture that they can represent that, that image represents and actually, I'm here talking about pictures, but objects are symbols that could represent its, a, its bigger meaning. Sometimes a child will hand a cup, but that is a symbolic representation of their wants and needs for being thirsty and wanting water. So as far as we are using symbolic language all the time, it's just a matter of are they already at a point where they perceive a picture of a cup as understanding that that picture representing an actual cup. But, but that, that happens pretty early on and, um, and that you can only see benefits from it. And I know a lot of the controversy stems from the fear of this inhibiting speech, which is kind of the gold standard that everybody wants is their child to be able to use speech because that's kind of the norm. However, um, they ha there has been several uh, literature research showing how it actually benefits and, and enhances their ability to produce speech and being somebody who speaks different languages. And I totally lost my train of thought here is that our ability to understand language has... Um, it's even more important than the development of speech itself, the ability to communicate and develop language. And these visual representations really support children being able to form these concepts as they are developing speech, verbal speech in that case. So no, Definitely. the answer is no, I don't think there is too early for, for symbols and visual representation at all. Definitely. And I think we can do a lot of it incidentally as well, even just having symbols up around the classroom, all those things are incidental ways that we are actually 
teaching them about visuals without really teaching them visuals. But while you were touching on with the controversy, I know I've had a few parents who are worried that using symbols will stop their child talking or they won't feel the need to talk. But over the years, personally, what I've seen with students is that we've been able to use symbols to enhance their language and turn those one words into two words, into three words, into sentences. So I think it definitely, like you say, it can be used to enhance that language and help them get even better at their vocabulary and what they're asking for and even conversations too. Absolutely. And to that, I have a daughter with language delay and we were... In this one word level, she had a huge vocabulary. And, but we were feeling, I was feeling as a speech pathologist, really defeated that I could not get this child to combine two words to move on and increase um, the length of the phrases that she was using. It was just always that one word uh, verbal interaction. And so I created an app that uses symbols to combine and it to combine the the vocabulary the individual words so that she could make short phrases and just the touch and the, the ability to manually move one image and then another image for example eat apple and put them together it's amazing just to see the transformation how how e- how much easier it was for her to get this concept that she is using two symbols to represent the two individual words that she was using separately, but combining them into one phrase. And this is just one example where symbols are being used to increase their from, you know, from one word to two word phrase to three word phrases and so on. Definitely. And I love that you use an app as well, because I've had many a student who has either hidden symbols from me when they've decided they just don't want to answer that question I asked, so they're going to hide it. They're going to flush it down the toilet. I've had them thrown (laughs) out the window. We've had a lot of experiences with visuals, but having it on an app, I think it's just like the next step as well. And they can take it with them. They can take it home. It was just a lot easier, we found, to have apps where we can encourage that conversation and the communication with symbols. Absolutely. And of course, there's the love of technology that that kids have, right? Well, that we all have. Definitely. But I know that a lot of my students, I thought I was good at technology. And then some days I'd sit there and I'd be blown away because they would wipe the floor with me. (laughs) They could do things I could never do. (laughs) So what are some ways that you think we can use these symbols to build language skills, whether it's printed out visuals or whether it's using the app like the one that you've made? Right. Um, well, the app that um, that I've made recently, it's one example. Then you can always expand it from there. I think the as a speech pathologist, the first thing that comes to my mind is the ability to use individual sets to expand the the length of utterance, so the long, make longer phrases. So go from "love you" to "I love you." to I love you too, or, and then you start introducing more and more words into this vocabulary set, but also increasing vocabulary in general. You're able to uh, expand the number of words that child knows. And 
And from there, you, you talk about pragmatics, which is the ability to use language to have the social exchange. And I think those are the first, the, the three ones that come to my mind um, right now. And they were perfect. I love picking your brain. You are like a wealth of knowledge for this. And I just love, I'm sat here listening to you, taking notes. Like, I just love listening to Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Because of all the knowledge, like sometimes, you know, we can read so many things, but I think sitting and listening to you, it helps me sort of take it in a lot better. And it's like my brain is like sponging with all the information. (laughs) Thanks for that. So with that building on the language skills, obviously, I do feel like symbols can help us aid our social development as well. So what are some ways do you think symbols can help aid that development of social? Um, Social stories and social scripts are are some of the big ways that people do use the visual support. And I see I've seen you use it beautifully. I made uh, mention earlier about the, the restroom situation. And that is, you know, sometimes it comes from a place of fear of the child. And ah, speaking of fear, there's a lot of some, some of the children, especially kids in the spectrum, are dealing with some anxiety. And with that, it comes the fear of the unknown, right? And with fear of the unknown, what can you do as a educator or a parent to prepare a child for situations that are generally unknown? And is by creating social scripts and social stories. And social scripts are, are just kind of a, a route and routine for how the child should interact socially in a given situation. For example, if, if a child is uh, going to a birthday party and they're anxious about that birthday party or specific situation, you can use these visual supports to, to talk about step-by-step step on what is going to happen and what are some of the ways that he can respond to certain social interactions? You arrive at the house and you're going to say hello. You're going to give the gift. And you can use have these pictures to represent these big concepts that are going to happen. And the same for a social story is as we are trying to teach the child that these, these specifically children in the spectrum that have um, delay in their, their social development is to give them these possible scenarios of social interactions that that people that are the neurotypical uh, group tend to just pick up on the go and um, learn from observation. Our children need to be to have this overt conversation about a social interaction and visual support can really be used to represent these varieties of social interactions um, as I create these um, these symbols to represent things, and our website is constantly updating with symbols. And a lot of this comes from new social situations we try to integrate so that a parent or a professional can say, okay, can we talk about a social interaction that the birthday situation? They can go there and look for specific images of things around a birthday party or going to a new restaurant or a trip, if they're going on a new trip to um, the whole airport situation, all of this, we can use visual to kind of support the child and reduce that anxiety. 
Definitely. And I've seen a lot over the years how much sort of fear and anxiety can really affect our children and students. But social stories, I've always found really helpful. Like you said, they really help to break things down, put it into steps that are maybe a little less scary when you really lay them out. Sort of like us, you know, the first time I ever went on a plane, I was freaking out because I'd never been on a plane before. But when you break it down and they say the different steps, it's really not that scary anymore, especially when you can visually see what might happen and see what you're going to do. All those things are really common, I feel like. Absolutely. And and sometimes people think of big events like going on a trip. Sometimes it could be the everyday activity. So if they go to extracurricular activity like jujitsu or some kind of martial arts, um, I've made a visual for my son on what are some of the things that are expected of him. For example, you're not allowed to um, to be silly and playing with the, with your friend as the coach is giving instructor instruction. And so it, we had all these things, and it's you know it's something he does three times a week. And I was able to really break down some of the things that are. In where you had a green category, these are cool things that you can do during jujitsu. And these are the red categories of things that it's not appropriate for you to do in jujitsu. Or sometimes even how um, you can break down things by the different environments. There are some things that are appropriate to do in the house, but not at school. And so it's the everyday interaction also can benefit so much from, from visuals. Definitely. And I think people are really starting to see how helpful they are now because I'm definitely seeing more and more teachers not just in special education I'm seeing teachers of all sort of student abilities and ages really using visuals and symbols just to help with the learning as well especially of new skills and like you say different situations we all have crazy amount of things going on in the classroom and at home and all these things really help to sort of break it down and make it easier for our students and children. Absolutely. And you, you said it right is goes back, ties back to, you know, one of the first questions on who benefits from visuals. It's all of us. And a lot of the time solutions that we think that we are using specific for student A, it is really benefiting 90 percent of their classroom, people's classrooms. Definitely. And I think especially coming up to this time of year now, we see a lot of teachers who really want to go and teach all about autism and spread that awareness and acceptance, which is great. But sometimes doing it from an early age with things like having symbols and visuals, it makes them a little less different when that autism awareness comes around because, well, I'm using those as well and we are doing that as well. It helps make things easier for the children too. Absolutely. It is, you know, going back to our to our travel situations, you know, the fact that the plane, the plane symbol, or the suitcase symbol is available to everyone helps everyone as opposed to, you know, if there was such a thing. I know in Europe, sometimes when I've traveled in the past, there is a specific door for foreigners and then a specific door for people of certain passports. Um, if you had symbols just for people, they assume don't speak the language versus having the symbol for everybody. Uh, it really makes it so that it becomes part of everyday routine and it's not seen as, oh, this particular group is the only group who needs this. And sometimes we don't realize that, no, we all need this. 
Definitely. And I love that thought as well, especially of travel, because I think so many of us can relate to the whole travel aspect and having the different visuals and symbols there as well. And that brings me to my next question, because I am always asked, how important do you think it is that we are using the exact same symbols at home and at school? And we have always tried in our class to use a variety of similar symbols that are just different because like you said, when you travel, not every airport is going to have the exact same symbol of the plane, but it's going to be similar. What are your thoughts on that? This is actually a very interesting conversation. I was listening to a podcast uh, last month and they brought up this conversation of a possible universal symbol set. And, um, you know, not get, getting into the business side of the quite challenging proposition of this concept, but actually thinking from the child's perspective. So how different can an image of an apple be from another apple, right? So even it could be a red apple or a green apple, uh, not discounting the coloring that, but when we talk about, for example, the concept of slow, which is sli slightly more abstract than apple. And some kids, my understanding, if you say, if the representation for slow is a snail, which could be in symbol set A. But on symbol set B, slow is represented by a sloth. And with here, you have, you know, the benefit of maybe they understand the concept of slow from seeing the sloth and the snail. And they're like, oh, what do both of these have in common? They are slow animals. And this uh, points to the benefits of children having exposure to multiple representations of a concept. Now, as far as, you know, this comes to the detriment of speed, especially when it comes to communication. If you're used to your letter A in a computer board, being at the same position and looking in a certain way. Maybe if you're a computer board, which is all capital right now, some places were lowercase and some places the A would be a photo of an apple. You can imagine that this would, even though we could get there eventually, this could reduce our speed and accuracy. Um, and this is more important for, for the, the children that are starting to use this as a communication medium. So I do think that we have, it's always going to be a balance between the consistency and when we're introducing new concepts, expose them to a variety of meanings so that they understand the concept behind the individual support. But finally, we see that some children would have a preference for this style of visuals versus the other one. And with that, I want to, you know, bring in on even, um, how children perceive themselves as um, the images are being used to represent. When I created Smarty Symbols, uh, the industry standard was to have a young uh, white male as the main character of the visual representation, as if this was the standard. Now, if you're talking about a, a, a child that is of African descendant, a female, and she would be looking at how does she feel when she's selecting an image that she does, she can't really relate to that. And this is where the concept of trying to have symbols where it's close in representation to that particular group and having a diverse group 
of people representing the symbol side was very important to me. Um, and I already diverted the conversation here, but I think it goes back to uh, the diversity and plurality of representation. I do think it's it's valid and very important. Definitely. And I've got to say, when I first purchased um, Smarty Symbols and I logged on there, I was amazed by how many different representations you had of different things. So people on there, even animals and things as well, because symbol programs we've used in the past, like you said, the average visual representation of a man was young white man and that was it and I could play around with different colors and things but I wanted my students to be able to collect one that they felt meant something more to them and that was just too time consuming with other ones but with yours I would log in and they would love just scrolling through like you know typing boy and there was like I can't even imagine I think it's like 20 different representations at least of boy and they'd be scrolling they'd choose one and like you say they're similar but different enough as well to mean different things to different people and for that representation as well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Now, talking about communication and going back to where you were talking about iPads and where I've had some um, unfortunate situations with symbols being destroyed, we wanted to talk about AAC. And for anyone who's listening who maybe doesn't know what AAC is, could you give a little introduction about that for me, please? Absolutely. Um, AAC stands for our argumentative and alternative communication. Even the word argumentative, it's like, what? Um, And it's basically a way to enhance communication. It could be for a child or an adult that um, already has some ways of communicating, but we need to enhance that. An alternative way that we um, have to to do the same thing. If you think, for example, if our typical way of communicating as humans is using our voice to generate sound, then it comes out as speech. But if for some reason that ability is impaired, we need to find an alternative way to express our thoughts. And this would be alternative communication. So it could be in using symbols, for example, uh, as a ways of exchanging a picture for an object it could be as a form of a device where they either type directly. So if an adult, for example, that had a stroke, they just lost the verbal ability, but they can just type in on a board. They still can read and write. They can just type their words and the iPhone would speak for them. Or um, text message is a form of alternative communication to speech. Anything that is a slightly different route than our traditional route to communicate is AAC. And, but I think when we are thinking of our particular population, uh, you know, young children with special needs, AAC is usually referred to kind of a device that you can utilize symbols or pictures as they tap on it to express what they meant to, to express their language and, and communication. That was perfect. Thank you. Because I know some people just assume that maybe to communicate, we use the picture exchange communication system. We use an iPad app. But I think people forget that there's also so many other things, like you were saying, text messaging, even sometimes our body language and the gestures we're using are all great ways for us to communicate as well. Absolutely. Even nodding. Yes or no. That's that's a different way, different route to express yes or no. 
Yes, exactly. And now I know this can be really confusing for some people because all of a sudden we've just opened up like 50 different ways for everyone to be able to communicate. And people are probably panicking, thinking, how do I know which one to use with my students or my child? So what would, advice would you give for someone who's trying to work out what sort of communication system they should be using? Well, that's a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which requires an evaluation by a licensed professional. This is like the big disclaimer. But um, in short, uh, uh, when when kids, when parents are looking for, for an alternative way of communication, you know, we look at, you know, the age of the child, their developmental milestones, what are their, even motor ability. If you have a child with, with limited motor skills in their hands, we aren't going to be necessarily offering a screen like an iPad screen, which has no sensory uh, feedback for touching. You know, even though these days they have these uh, over layer, layers that you can put on top of the iPad to help with that. But there's just so much that we take into consideration when making a choice or recommendation for um, for AAC device based on, um, you know, motor skills, intellectual abilities, and things like that. But ultimately, I think being able to offer a child an alternative way of for them to express themselves is key. And the more, the merrier. We tend to think that, okay, my child can't speak anything right now. They're nonverbal. Let's just offer them these five images here of things they could want, which is water, uh, restroom, and they end up limiting the communication to five things because that's what they are assuming the child can do. But if you keep assuming what the child can do, you don't give them the opportunity to learn and to express what they might know and we just don't know that they know. And so um, offering them, if, if there's the one key thing, is offering them a opportunity to use the language and abilities that they might not, that they might know. Never as, always assume competence, always assume that they can do it and you build it from it. Definitely. I love that. And I'm very sorry. That was your early morning challenge for the day. You're probably not going to want to come back on after I've challenged you with that so early. Now, <laughs> 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 uh, I know you said about how there can be an assessment done so that we know maybe what system is best for our students. Who would a teacher or a parent go to to sort of start on the right track for that? Um. I see is that this uh, it's it might be very different might look very different not only across different countries but even you know I'm even though I'm speaking from the U.S. which is where I live right now I'm originally from Brazil and the outlook there is very different um, but I would imagine you know when it comes to U.S. based folks um, and I actually even within the U.S. I have been doing an exercise this last month of going to interview uh, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, behavioral therapists, and special education teachers uh, for a separate project. And I have been amazed at the diverse ways that a parent or a teacher can go about making these kinds of recommendations. Sometimes it could initiate, the teacher can, can make initial recommendation for an assistive technology team. Some school districts don't have an assistive technology team. They will have 
a person who could be an autism evaluator. Um, and so I think for this question, it really varies a lot based on on where you are and the resources you have within the school district. Um, I actually would love to know more how it is in, in Wales. Um, how does this process look like? And look at me turning on the mic and the interviewer. <laughs> I know you're turning the questions on the interviewer. Well, yeah. we tend to, we have a lot of special schools here, which I don't think are common in many other countries. So we would, for this process, it would tend to be decided in a meeting. So this would involve maybe the special education teacher and an assistant if they're working on a one-to-one basis. We tend to try and really focus on who knows the child best and involve them where we can, just because we like to have different people's thoughts. And we've always found that children can react differently with different people and not so much something that someone's done wrong or someone's done differently. It's just the way we are in life. We tend to make different relationships with different people, depending on our personalities. So we would have those there from that sort of section. We would always invite the family in because obviously they see a whole different side of their child at home and what they may do at home, they may not do with us and what they do with us, they may not do at home. So those would also be in the meeting. We have never had a speech therapist um, on site full time, but we have one who comes back and forth and then she works with a team of, I believe, five other therapists and they were always great at being able to come in, go through different options, everyone can go through it, but we've always led with sort of the child first as well and sometimes it would just be as simple for us as laying out a few different ways of communication, staff modeling them, sort of playing around with them at first to make them interesting and seeing what the child goes for because so many times we've seen you know back when I discussed the student who flushed the symbols down the toilet and everyone thought it was because he hated symbols but nine times out of ten it was because we asked him something he gave us his answer you know and it could be something like okay we're going swimming now and he was like no and because we couldn't accept no because we are going swimming then he just flushed the symbols he was like well I can't communicate with you then and it's tough yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and everyone wanted to take away his symbols but we were like it's not necessarily the symbols it's just that you know what he's not interested in what we have to offer and that's okay because sometimes we aren't interested in what other people have to offer either I think it's important to sort of remember that you know children have their own personalities and they can be quirky and funny as well and I think just because they may be on the autism spectrum doesn't mean that they aren't cheeky and they don't like a little bit of fun and a little bit of banter between us as well but that is what it would be here. It's very much a whole team approach. Obviously, if um, a parent decided that they wanted to focus on maybe just communicating with an iPad app, of course, we would respect that as well. We've always been quite open with our parents. We've always made it a huge um importance to have that trust and relationship with our parents and what they say we'll always try and follow so long as we believe you know it is for the benefit of the individual child but we also do things like we teach sign language through songs and we do it you know just through the day we're not actually sitting there teaching them but the children can pick it up in different ways like that as well so 
yeah, I think I sort of went off on one there. But yeah, a, a range of ways. <laughs> no, but actually, you said something that it was um, that happens often, and and we we this is the one thing that we all should talk more about is removing the symbol from the child when it is a symbol that you that we perceive as inappropriate. It is as cruel as us telling a student to stop talking, right? You're removing their means of communication. Even when we uh, perceive this as not being appropriate, this is where going back to social stories is going back to teaching them what is an appropriate way of using symbols and how and when and with whom it is okay. And we do this with every child. If you think of a child that is, you know, you're typically developing child that is using uh, a word that we don't want them to use in public, we go and correct that behavior. And you say, okay, maybe you can only use it with these particular people for not the other. And this is, um, so we never remove a child's means of communication, even when the behavior isn't as, as ideal as we want. We want to just modify the behavior to get there. Um, yeah, but that, so this is super important because, you know, when kids rely on a piece of device sometimes, be it an iPad or, or one of these AAC devices that are dedicated devices for communication, um, I don't want to prolong your, your time here too much, but, you know, coming from Brazil where these devices were non-existent, and this is, you know, before the iPad, I came here in 2004 um, I would, I, one of the things that I saw more frequently, and it was pretty shocking to me, uh, it, it's that dual shock of a, wow, the, the U S has such a large resource, uh, that they, they can afford to have a closet full of AC devices that are not being put to use by students. So it's that double-edged sword where you initially are very impressed with the technology, um, capabilities and, and the resources that these students had. But at the same time, um, teachers weren't making use of the devices. They were keeping kept on the closet. And there's a whole other conversation about, you know, how easy were these devices to use, how easy it was to program to the level of the child, which is, explains why the iPad became such a big sensation when iPads were being used for communication. Definitely. And I know when we put this particular student onto the iPad, his parents really wanted to move him on. And um, they actually wanted to look at ways of maybe changing no to something else to make it more appropriate. And when they actually took it away, he just went onto the alphabet and spelled no. And I was like, you you can't stop him saying no. He wants to say no. Just teach him maybe, you know, maybe no, not right now. He doesn't want to go swimming. But if you go swimming now, we can do something you really like later. And like you said, you sort of use it as a teaching moment as well. But he is still, he sticks in my mind because he was probably the one who taught me the most about communicating with symbols because he was so creative with ways that he would do. If he didn't have a symbol, he would draw it, he would sign it, he would spell it out. And it was amazing to be able to learn from him. He was so wonderful. And he taught me a lot that I was able to use with other students, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful story. And talking of those apps, 
I know that you really like using sort of the iPad and different apps as well from sort of watching you and your businesses. But what apps do you recommend that can really help to improve language skills? Um, well, I over the last 10 years, I've been involved in over 60 apps. And this seems like an overwhelming number of apps. But I want to bring back to one of the apps that it's the simplest one of the newest that I've that I've had, and it's called Talkie Tot, and it, it really um, has has shown to be such an incredible tool for for, for that young child that is uh, initially you know learning visual representation, learning to combine vocabulary, combine words to make their very first phrases. That's kind of one of my favorite ones. That I uh, that comes to my mind, AAC apps called. There's an AAC app that uses smarty symbols called Expressive, which is very. It was designed very much with with a family member in in mind and accessibility and user friendliness. Sometimes when you have a lot of features and a lot of things, it becomes too complex to get the app ready and functional. Um, when I created Expressive, I wanted something. If these parents never see me. Can they open the app and set up for their child to initiate communication? And that's um, that was expressive. And that's it, it's not necessarily built for a teenager with a high vocabulary that has, you know, that is using visuals to communicate mostly. But it's it's that very initial step that is user friendly for parents and, and teachers to have available as a means of communication. Uh, and those are the first two that use symbols that come to my mind. They sound brilliant. Thank you so much. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. I definitely want to check out Expressive because I didn't know they used Smarty Symbols. And you know, you know how much I love Smarty Symbols. I could talk about that for days. So that app would be perfect. So I have to check that out. Now, I know I've taken up so much of your time, but where can my audience find you? Because I know you do a lot of things. I know you do presenting. I know you have the businesses. But where can people find you and find out more about everything that you talk about for all your different ventures and your knowledge too? Well, I am very much available. Um, I, you know, we have Facebook and you can usually find me on Instagram. I I, I try to compartmentalize my uh, my different accounts. I'm not sure how effective this is. You know, I will have a, you know an Instagram account for Smarty Years and not for Smarty Symbols. And I do have a individual one for myself, which I'd be happy to share the links. Um, and I am sure that we can probably put out some links there for the Facebook, email, and all of those. Um, as we said earlier. I love interacting with people who are actually using the things that I create. And I love getting feedback and thoughts because making solutions for the children and making functional to the adults that are using it with the children is really the most important things that that I that I look for and continue my journey with these solutions. So I welcome any kind of interactions and email and feedback. 
Perfect. And I will get all those links off you and put them in the show notes. Now, before you go, if there is one thing you would like my audience and listeners today to take away from our sort of subjects using symbols to build language, what would it be? Um, one of the most important things is, you know, coming from a parent, it's very easy to think of symbols as a lesser resource or a crutch or crutches or people thinking that all of the different associations that could come with a child using an AC device or picture symbols. Um, but I want parents and professionals to really be able to um, think of visual support and symbol in communication symbolic communication as a very natural way of giving children access to communication, social interactions, and participation in society in general. And that should be the most important goal for for parents uh, and, and teachers and educators. And I know that at times it feels that your child is the unique one using a, a visual group or visual support or Supporting a, and I, I love if teachers and therapists are able to convey and see things from a parent's perspective on why they might be reluctant and try to break that barrier before coming in with which symbols to use. I think making parents feel comfortable with their child using symbols and alternative communication is a goal that every professional should have as they're starting and meeting new families. That was lovely. And it was so true as well, because sometimes I think maybe we wrongly assume that our parents know everything that we're going to be talking about. And we always try and go in with maybe the mindset that they don't know anything and teach them from the start rather than over assume and guess that they know all the things. And then they're just looking at us thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't know what you're talking about. And then we end up making the decisions for them. So I think it's nice that you can sort of see it where you've experienced it from both sides. And that must be really helpful for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today, Barbara, and spending your time with us to teach us all things about building language with symbols. I will share all those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Nikki, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for brightening up my morning. You are, I actually learned so much with you about conducting interviews that I'm going to be using on my upcoming interviews these next couple of weeks. You are, you, you are a great host. Oh, you are the sweetest. Thank you so much. I'm so glad my Welsh accent didn't put you off. And thank you for turning the tables on me as well. That was nice. I don't get that often. That was a fun, well, middle of the day for me, but early morning for you. So thank you so much, Barbara. You're welcome. Wow. Thank you so much, Barbara, for coming on the podcast today and sharing so much information and your knowledge with us. I don't know about you guys, but I found that podcast episode really interesting, just about how much symbols have an effect on the way that we can build language and learn and how they're being used in the world around us. Don't forget to head over to the show notes and you can find links for all the things that me and Barbara have discussed today, as well as finding out more about her two current businesses, Smarty Symbols and Smarty Years. 
Thank you so much for listening. I know this was a long one, but I hope that you found it as helpful as I did. Thanks for listening and I'll speak to you again soon.